You know when you're out with your friends and they all order beer and then you look insane when you don't want any beer? I mean, no offense to any of my friends out there, but I'm not a crazy obsessed beer drinker. I mean, once in a while, but I don't really love it. But I did recently try Bud Light Seltzer. It's not beer. It's a hard seltzer from Bud Light. Finally, there's something I can drink when everyone else is having a beer. Bud Light Seltzer's 5% alcohol, 100 calories, and it comes in four flavors. There's strawberry, lemon lime, mango, and my go-to black cherry. They're all super refreshing and perfect when I want something with a little more kick than just sparkling water. You know what I'm saying? Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. All right, guys, it's the new year, and we all know what that means. As uncool as it is to say make a resolution, the reality is the word resolution means you make a decision and you resolve about it. What could you be more resolved about other than your health? So, look, as I said, it's the new year. I'm offering a huge special. I'm slashing the price on my app for a limited time. It's 69 bucks for an entire year. You get my entire DVD library to stream on any of your devices, any place, anytime, anywhere. You get Body Shred. You get Body Revolution. You get customized meal plans, access to thousands of recipes. And you can tell me if you want to cook for 10 or if you want to cook for just one. If you're vegan, paleo, omnivore, pescatarian, I will customize every single recipe just for you, including your fitness. No matter what your fitness goal, no matter where you're starting from, I can create a workout for you on the spot. You can choose any one of the programs in the app from prenatal, postnatal, bridal boot camps, ab programs, booty programs, total body, weight loss, muscle gain, gym workouts, whatever you need, I've got it in that app on top of community forums, support and coaching from me. So you know what? Check it out. Try it for seven days. If you don't like it, cancel. You pay nothing. If you do like it, it's about a dollar thirty cents a week for the entire year. Just go to JillianMichaels.com now and check it out. Jillian, our guest today is best-selling author of Tuesdays with Maury and the host of Tuesday People, the podcast. We have Mitch Album. Well, he's also best-selling author of Finding Chica. A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. That's right. Hi, Mitch. How are you? Hi. What a pleasure to talk to you all. It's uh, I, 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 I read your story, and I didn't know. I knew of you before, obviously, for your career, but I didn't know your connection to Haiti. And so um, it's a double pleasure to be able to speak with you, especially about children. Well, uh, it's absolutely mutual. And, um, of course, I knew about you from all of your best-selling books. I did not know about your connection to Haiti, and Mitch and I share a publicist, which is how we got so lucky to get him on the show, and she was telling me about the book before it came out, and she's like, you know, this is going to be major, and I was like, "What's what are you stressing about? What's the book about? And she told me, and I was like, oh my God, can you get me a copy? So... I we're gonna I'm gonna let Mitch tell you guys what the book is about. So Mitch, will you please tell us what Finding Chica is about? Well, it's a true story um, about a little girl whose name was Chica John, who was born three days before the terrible earthquake of 2010. Survived that miraculously when her house fell down around her, uh, but she somehow wasn't killed and her mother and her survived it. And the third day of her life, she lived outside in the 
sugarcane fields, and she slept there for the next six weeks of her life. She was only wasn't even a week old, so she was born tough. And a couple of years later, her mother died giving birth to a baby brother because in Haiti, as you know, there's no doctors, and yeah. especially for poor women. They give birth on their own, and they hope for their best, and yeah. something went wrong, and the mother died, and the baby lived. And so Chica was taken away that day by her godmother and was brought to an orphanage that I operate and have operated for the last 10 years there in Haiti. Um, and I'm there every month, and we have a little over 50 kids who we raise there and educate there and take care of there and ultimately get college educated and hopefully turn things around. So she was brought to us and she was, for the first couple of years, was the bossiest, loudest three-year-old you'd ever met. You know, <laughs> she, she took over the place. And, um, and when she was five, uh, we got a diagnosis that uh, in Haiti, they gave us a two-sentence diagnosis. There's something on this child's brain, and whatever it is, there's nobody in Haiti who can help her. Oh, God. And so uh, we brought her north to America, hoping that American medicine could take care of whatever this was, only to find out that what it was is something called DIPG, which is a four-letter word for death. And there was nothing to be done, according to them. And they said she'll be gone in four months. Why don't you just take her back to Haiti and let her play with her friends and this will quickly debilitate her, this brain tumor, and she'll die. But my wife and I, knowing this little girl, said, you don't understand what a fighter this girl is. And if she'll fight, we'll fight. And that began what turned out to be a two-year journey um, with her and the two of us. She lived five times longer than they even predicted. And during those two years, we got to become a very unlikely family. Uh, my wife and I were in our late fifties and we never had children of our own. And all of a sudden we had this amazing, loud singing five-year-old who, you know, had a million questions and, uh, finding Chica is a story of that two year forming of a family, even under the toughest of circumstances and how joyous it was and how inspirational it was. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to pull myself together to have this conversation with you. Um, first of all, you're... <laughs> I can't imagine what the hell you've been through, man. I like literally that's my absolute worst nightmare. So really my I have such admiration for uh for you and for your wife and everything you guys have been through. Cuz of course I like I imagine Lou, you know, who's my my 9-year-old and she was born this exact same year. Mm -hmm. Um her mother was actually pregnant with her during the earthquake, so I and I don't know much more than that. And they would be pretty much the same age um, right That's now. Right. I adopted That's her right. from uh, an orphanage in Port-au-Prince. And I I cannot imagine going through what you've gone through. And I, I wonder, like, first of all, what even – I want to start at the very beginning. How in the hell did you end up running an orphanage in hmm. Haiti? Yeah, it's it's not your typical life move, is it? I um, no. It was uh, <laughs> I feel like we I need was, some backstory um, here. Yeah, I mean, there's a little backstory. Well, I uh, I live in Detroit and I operate. A, I have a radio program that I've done for a lot of years in Detroit, and people in Detroit listen to it. And um, after the earthquake, two days after the earthquake, a pastor here in Detroit came to me and said that he had had an orphanage in Port-au-Prince, and he thought that it had been destroyed and that all the kids had been killed. Oh, uh, but he couldn't get a phone call through because, you know, remember, there was no communication and basically, you know, lost. Right. Right. And and so the idea of there being children somehow buried in rubble and nobody knowing about it just uh, couldn't leave my head. And so yeah. I worked um, with some people I knew and got a small plane 
Um, and I got a senator that I knew here in, in Michigan was on the Armed Forces Committee. And so they wow. opened up a 10-minute window for us to fly from Detroit to Port-au-Prince just two weeks after the earthquake. There was no commercial traffic. You couldn't take any commercial airliners. Nobody was getting in, just the military. But we got in, and um, what I saw was just, I mean, I'll never forget that. It was hell on earth. And, yeah. You know, people scrambling on piles of rubble, pulling rocks out, looking for their loved ones who were buried inside of it. And people wandering around like zombies covered in white dust, scrounging for any little water in the street from some dirty mud puddle. And yeah. we got to this orphanage. Unfortunately, it hadn't been destroyed, but it had been overrun. And it was just really, you know, chaos. And I was so moved by what I saw and, the, and how the kids still had this amazing attitude and they were loving and warm. So I began to go back. I, I came back to Detroit. I wrote a story about it, and I gathered up a, a bunch of plumbers and contractors and roofers and the type. And uh, we started going back. We went took nine straight trips back there and Incredible. rebuilt this place from scratch, built the first toilets that they really had, showers, kitchen, dining room, a schoolhouse. But along the way, I noticed the kids weren't eating. You know, They were still starving. There was not, no food. So I went to the pastor. I said, I don't get it. You know what's going on and he said well to be honest with you i'm in my mid-80s and i don't have any money to run this place and i haven't for a long time yeah. and in one of those moments that you know you look back on later in your life and say what was i thinking i said, <laughs> I said uh, uh well you know i could probably run this place oh and uh he basically said praise jesus hallelujah and he handed it over and I've been running it ever since, so I've been there for, well, next month will be 10 years, and, and I'm there every month. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't the greatest at it at the beginning. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned, and, um, you know, we've admitted 46 new children since I've been there, and uh, it's a beautiful, loving place for kids. We don't adopt kids out. It's different than the orphanage you must have dealt with. Um, we just raise them, right. uh, and we take kids who have been abandoned, who have been lost, We've, some of our kids have been, you know, found under trees, left to die. And yeah. One was left at a tuberculosis clinic, and nobody ever came back for him two years later. We, you know, somebody said this kid's been here for two years, and no one ever claimed him. So he lives with us. So it's a, it's a collection of, you know, a lot of kids who have had really tough circumstances, but they're beautiful, loving children, and Chica was one of them. That actually brings me to my next question, which is, why her? Because I imagine you have seen many kids with very serious illnesses. Um, why, why did you bring her into your world in that next, like, there ha like why her? Have you thought about that well, or is it just an obvious I answer? Um, you know, I never really thought of it that way. Every child that we admit, you know, for every one that I take in, I have to say, no to at least 10 other ones mm. and saying no to those other 10 is the hardest thing i have to do really in my life Shimmer's because you always list, wonder man. you know well, yeah. what are you are you condemning them basically to the life of poverty that they're they're living in or you know could you have saved their life or changed their life yeah and so for the children that we do take in they're our kids you know i mean i don't look at it any differently i don't make a draw a line between well they're not biologically mine or mm. they don't my dna i'm responsible my name is on the document that we sign with whoever brings them that i'm their legal guardian so to me you know they're 52 of my children and when chica got sick we never even thought about 
how hard it would be or anything like that. We, we, we had to scramble to get her a birth certificate. You know, that's the kind of stuff you, 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 you occupy yourself with in Haiti. You don't think about, well, is this going to be tough or not? You go, all right, we have to get a birth certificate because there's never been a birth certificate. Who do we have to pay off to get a birth certificate? And then we have to get a passport and then we have to get a visa and then we'll bring her up. And it, it just sort of happened. And, right. you know, we thought that this would be curable. And then in one hour long session with the doctor, my wife and I walked into the room thinking, you know, he'll tell us when she's going to be able to go home. And we walked out of the room being told that she has four months left to live. And you don't really sit there and think, you know, what should I take this child in or not? You know, you think, oh, my God, you know, we have to. Who else is going to take care of this little girl? So it wasn't a lot of, a lot of decision making. It was kind of automatic. Okay. Well, what you've been through would most people think it's unlivable. Right? I mean, I've I've had, I've read all the books. Right, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Like mm-hmm. I've done all my work on on transmuting tragedy, and there is that line. And I'm like, look, this is the one thing. Like, if I lost both my kids, because you know you hear those horror stories, at like, oh, two kids in a car accident killed by a drunk driver. I'm like, that's it. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not finding the meaning. I'm not doing the work. I'm not going to do it. It's where I, I have just said, like, this is where I check out. I'm not doing life without my kids, even though I know the answer is like, you must find meaning. You must bring the right. lesson. You must give the hope. And you. Is that what this book is about? Is that how you have transmuted this? And when exactly did you lose her? Because as I'm doing the math, was it 2015 or 2018? No, 2017. She came. She came to live with us in 2015, and she passed away in April of 2017. Okay. And and how how so when you wrote this book, was this like a form of therapy for you? Well, I, I decided to write the book for two reasons. Um, one, seven is not a long enough time on earth. And I thought of all the people that Chica, who was, you know, we're talking a lot about serious stuff and illnesses, but that's not when I think of Chica, that's not what I think of. I don't think of her sick. I think of her as funny and laughing and precocious and the kind of kid who, you know, would sing do a deer and email deer. And then we would say, no, Chica, it's not email, it's female. And she would say, what? We say it's female, not email. No, it's my mouth. I can say what I want. I mean, and that was her third language, English, or that we would come in the house and she would uh, she would always hide. You know, the minute someone came in the house, she'd find a blanket or a towel and she'd throw it over her and she'd make you go, you know, where is Chica? I can't find Chica. We lost Chica. And you'd see the towel would be shaking with laughter. And then she'd throw the towel off and she'd say, there is he. You know, because she didn't know her pronouns, you know, a he from a she or anything. So I, that's what I remember and what I think about. And so I, I just felt that there was so much joy and bravery and courage to this little girl who never really knew what she was battling. You know, we never sat with her and said, well, you have a brain tumor. Right. We, we just said, you know, you're sick. That's why we're taking you to the doctors. But you're going to feel better. This doctor's going to try to make you feel better. And when it started to debilitate her and she couldn't walk, you know, that was apparent to her that, uh, okay, I can't walk because the doctor's going to help me walk. But she had a much braver attitude towards it all than I did and that my wife did. And so, you know, I thought, well, all these people are never going to meet her now because she's gone. But if I write a book, uh, I had seen with Tuesdays with Maury, you know, they teach that book still around the world in yeah. classrooms in Japan and 
and then and Australia and China. And, and so he lives on, you know, and a lot of people know him as a result of that story. So if I could do a fraction of that for Chica, then it wouldn't be as harsh that she left the world, you know, uh, and, and all these people like you now or yeah. people who are listening to us are going to get to know her a little bit. And I'm proud of that and happy for her. And the other reason was I, I, I'm giving all the money to the orphanage. And so, you know, everything that's earned on this goes right to the kids. And my hope is that we can build a new building one day soon because ours is really old. And if we do, that'll be Chica's sort of uh, gift to her brothers and sisters uh, who love her and who, uh, you know, it's funny. Chica sang all the time, all the time. She was an amazing. She had like an Ethel Merman voice. And uh, she would sing that song from... Uh, it was at the end of the movie, The Parent Trap. It's the Nat King Cole. L is for the way you oh, look at me. Yes. Oh, is for. And she she would sing the whole thing. She'd mess up the letters a lot of the time. You know, <laughs> she would go like, V is very very uh, whatever. <laughs> I remember how I. But um, to this day, uh, at the orphanage, every night our kids do their devotions, and they they sing like thirty minutes worth of just hymns and psalms and gospel songs and you know they don't even use books they don't need paper they know them all by heart and all this amazing thanks to god and they have nothing i mean everything they own can fit in a 12 inch by 12 inch cubby because that's all each kid gets and yet they're so joyous and so thankful and at the end of their prayers after all these you know creole prayers and french prayers all of a sudden you hear them sing l is for the way you look at me. And they sing the whole song, and at the end they go, one, two, three, good night, Chica, and they oh. look up at the sky. So she's part of them, and, 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 and they deserve to be you know, part of the story, and the book Finding Chica hopefully will help support them for many years to come. When we got, um, you know, every time you you interview an author, they send you a little bit about the book, and it's just kind of mm -hmm. standard. You know this. I'm just telling the audience. And so I got these talking points. And um, there were a couple, I mean, they're all great, but the, the ones that really stood out to me in particular was the power of the love of a child. And that's all they have here. And I was like, all right, you know what? Um, please wax poetic on that. <laughs> well, the power of the love of a child. I mean, um, it is, it is uh, everything that matters in life. Uh, I remember towards the end when Chica couldn't walk anymore, um, I had to carry her. You know, I was the only one in the house who could lift her because she was in about 60 pounds. And, and uh, so I would take her to the, whenever she had to go anywhere, to one table to the next, to the car, to the bathroom, wherever. I was her taxi, you know. <laughs> and we were, we were sitting at the table one time and um, we were coloring and I looked at my watch. I realized I was late for work and I said, Chica, I got to go. And she said, no, Mr. Mitch, stay in color. I said, Chica, I have to work. And she said, Mr. Mitch, I have to play. Oh <laughs> I said, well, it's not the same thing, Chica, because this is my job. <laughs> and she cro she crossed her arms and she looked at me. She said, no, it isn't. Your job is carrying me. Oh. And, you know, I, I laughed at that, but then I realized, wow, you know, that is it. That's it in a sentence. Of course, my job is carrying her. It was carrying her from the time I agreed to take her into the orphanage and certainly from the time she was diagnosed with an illness. And, and you know, what we carry is what defines us. And I thought about how for so much of my life without children, 
I had been carrying around my books, my papers, my accomplishments, my paychecks, <laughs> whatever it was. That's what I filled my arms with. Yeah. And now, you know, all I did was carry her from place to place. And it was so much more significant and so much more important and so much more blessed. And so you ask about what a love of a child can do. Well, it's what you choose to fill your arms with, you know. And it is our jobs to carry our kids, all of our kids, your kids, my kids. And, and if you have the means um, to, to carry the poor and the sick and the abandoned children of the world, which is one of the reasons I'm so delighted to talk to you because you took that extraordinary step and did that for uh, a little one from Haiti who, who probably didn't have any other option. And so, um, you know, that's the smallest example, but maybe the biggest that I can say to, you know, the way a child changes your entire perspective on what's important. That's actually a beautiful place to take a break, which kills me. But we have uh, advertisers that support our ability to give you guys the show for free. So I know you're not going to go anywhere because we have so much more amazing stuff to talk with Mitch about. So Mitch, give us one minute and we're going to be right back, guys. I think at this point, you guys know how much I love my third love bras and how easy it was to find the right one for my body by taking their online Fit Finder quiz. Seriously, it's the most comfortable bra I own because third love tests each cup size on at least 20 different women with different body types and breast shapes to make sure new styles are as comfortable and beautiful at an I cup as they are at an A cup. They also add things like wider straps and more substantial hooks to larger sizes so the bra is stronger where you need it and you'll get the same fabrics, styles, and price no matter what your size. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Jillian to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Jillian for 15% off today. Thirdlove.com slash Jillian. Joybird builds furniture to match your style so your home feels uniquely like your own. Whether you want a beige sofa or a bubblegum pink love seat, Joybird's free personal design consultants are available to help with hundreds of customizable pieces in over 50 fabric options, including a range of kid and pet friendly upholstery. Thank God. They even offer free fabric swatch kits. Each Joybird piece uses responsibly sourced materials and is made from real wood without harmful chemicals. Plus, all Joybird handcrafted pieces come with a limited time warranty. Create furniture that matches your own fearless style at joybird.com slash Jillian25 and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order by using the promo code Jillian25. That's joybird.com slash Jillian25 to see how Joybird can help you make your dream space a reality today. joybird.com slash Jillian25 promo code Jillian25. Okay, guys, we are back with Mitch, and we are talking about his instant best-selling book, Finding Chica, A Little Girl, in Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. And I'm guessing there's this is not live radio. You did not come into this in the middle of it. So where we left off, um, Mitch, you were telling me about how carrying Chica helped you come into this sort of new calling and new purpose and gave you this deeper sense of meaning and you know you talked about how we have this responsibility if we have the means right to whom much is given much is required 
Right. And I've often thought so many times, just kind of off subject, and I wonder if you if you see it this way. When I was younger, I knew I knew I was privileged, and I I knew that there were kids like Chica in the world, and I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. And I just kept thinking, like, how could this be so unfair? Like, is God going to make me pay for this? Like, why am I so lucky? Like, I didn't do anything to earn this safety. Like, and I realized as I got older, like maybe my lesson. Maybe one of the reasons the world is unfair is because my lesson is to make it more fair. That's what I'm supposed to do is share and open up my heart and my home and and give what I have if I have the means. And yet in in the process in bringing bringing Lou, um, my my daughter, uh, into the home, she, she gave me so much more than I could ever give her. And it was that deeper sense of purpose and... Um, a greater sense of self, thinking like, how can I, how can I help this child become the most confident, the most strong, the most give her the best life possible? Um, right. And you talk about I, but I can't imagine the concept, as I've mentioned earlier, of losing her. And you talk about the 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 unique and precious nature of time. That is affecting yeah. you so differently than uh, than I have experienced that, and I, I was wondering if you could sort of elaborate on on that and sure and your experience. Well, yeah, uh, the um, time you know I, I kind of broke the book down um, into seven things that she could taught me because she lived to be seven years old. So I kind of took this. She always loved numbers, so I tried to match up one to every year and. Uh, you know, I tried to write it in an inspirational, funny, you know, way, and not some kind of thing that you don't want to read the next page because you're afraid, you know, I don't want to find out she's going to die. You, you know from the very first page that she died, but you also see that she's come back to visit me, and she talks to me, and she says, you know, well, if you're writing, why don't you write a story about me? You should write about me, which is exactly what she would do. And so, <laughs> um, you know, I go through these things that she taught me, uh, and one of them was very much about time because, you know, we fill our time incredibly and we, we think there's not another spare minute we were so worked especially uh, you know my wife and i had gone through life without children of our own so you fill it up with you know you've got your work you've got your social life you've got your charities you've got all these things and you, and then you go to sleep and you start all over again so you couldn't possibly squeeze another minute in and then all of a sudden there's a five-year-old sleeping at the base of your bed in her own little bed, waking you up and saying, I have to go potty. You know, you haven't heard that sentence before. Or, uh, you know, or she wants to eat breakfast and I don't, I tend not to eat breakfast. You know, I just sort of skip it or I would have a cup of coffee and skip it. She went, okay, we'll have breakfast. So I make her some eggs. We sit down and she starts to eat. This is the first day I'm watching her eat breakfast. One spoonful goes in her mouth starts to chew, puts down the fork, she yawns, she looks out the window, she sees a squirrel, she yells, squirrel! She picks up She picks up the fork again, puts another little thing in, puts it down, sways back and forth, starts to sing a song, sees another squirrel. Oh it took an hour, you know? It's like, who, who takes an hour to eat breakfast? But, you know, you realize, um, I use this line in the book, uh, it came to me that uh, a child is both an anchor and a set of wings. And my old life was done, you know, and yeah. that's the way I looked at Chica, the way my wife and I looked at Chica. It was like, you know, yes, an anchor, like there's a whole new set of time prerogatives and everything, especially with a child who's sick. But a set of wings in that you get to fly to places you just never went before. And 
Chica was just like that. You know, there's a sense of wonder, especially if you're an older parent like we were. I mean, we were really old. We were old enough to be grandparents. Uh, and there's a sense of wonder that a child has that you have long since forgotten. You know, how a, how a, how a, a frog or a, or a pebble or grass or rolling in the leaves or the first time she got on a sled. Uh, all those kinds of things are just magical to her. And of course, for a little girl from Haiti who was suddenly in America, everything was magical. Right. The cars were magical. Yes. The roads were magical. Mailboxes were magical. Squirrels were magical. You know, <laughs> the television was like the greatest invention ever, except the remote control, which was she really thought was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> so, you know, she's never seen any of those things. And, and we had to kind of rein her in a little bit about, okay, a little at a time. And, you know, we, we didn't watch a lot of television or anything like that. There were other things to do, but just watching her, you know, make a snowman for the first time or all that, it's just an incredible blessing to have that in your life and, and to be able to see the world through a child's eyes, because you remember, you know, you once had those eyes and, uh, it's inside you like a pilot light. And when a, when a child comes along, they, they reignite that pilot. You get down on the floor to do things. You know, it's always, I mean, think about that. How, as an adult, do you ever get on the floor to do anything? No, oh, unless gosh. you're scrubbing it, you know. Yes. But, but, you know, if you're a child, everything's down there. You know, all the toys are down there. The dolls are down there. The papers are down there. So you get down there and then suddenly you realize, wow, I remember what this was like when I was, you know, down here before and, you know, decades ago. And um, it's just, you know, it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. Now, there's another uh, another section I, I wanted to, to really address, and I'm sort of jumping ahead, but it's how a child changes a marriage. Um, yeah. No one talks about that, and it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I can't think of anything that could change it more. Um, and I was well, wondering yeah, if you could, that, if you could that, talk about that. I'll be happy to, yeah. It's especially true. When the marriage has been around for a long time, in our case, you know, we've been together either dating or, or, or married for almost 30 years, and it was just the two of us. And, uh, you know, everything we did was the two of us, and we didn't have kids of our own, so we became like the uncle and aunt, you know, uh, to all of our 15 nieces and nephews. And, and that's nice, and you go on vacation with them, or you, you go to their school assemblies, or, you know, they stay over your house on a special weekend, or... When they become teenagers, they really want to come over to your house because, you know, you're not going to give them a hard time. But, you know, on Christmas Eve, you give out the presents to them. But on Christmas morning, your house is empty, you know, and it's, you know, we had kind of gotten used to that. And then all of a sudden we were three, you know, we went from two to three and everything we did was three because, you know, she didn't go to school or anything because she was so busy, you know, dealing with this illness. Yeah. So she was homeschooled here. So she was with us every minute wherever we went. And what I wrote in the book is that she taught me <clears throat> an enormous amount about my marriage and my wife because, you know, when we were dating uh, and we were of the years that we could have children, you know, I think I, I, there was part of me that was scared about doing that. Like a lot of guys, it's like, well, how's that going to change things? Will yeah. I be a good father? Will I have enough time? Will it hurt my career? You know, and then that selfish thing about, you know, well, my wife will, what if she just becomes doting on the children and yes. I become, you know, the extraneous cartoon dad, you know, who it's just takes out the trash. Oh, so true. And, and no one a, wants to talk about that. No one talks about their fear of it, though. That, you know, I, I never realized how dumb I was until Chica came here. And not only did she not steal my spouse, she showed me, you know, the most beautiful side of her. You know, it's like Janine, my wife, had been waiting her whole life to nurture a child like Chica, and you get to see this whole side of 
this maternal side, this playful side, the, the, the way they would sit and, and uh, sing together or watch movies together or pull the bathroom door shut and say, privacy, please, no boys. You know, <laughs> and, and, and it's just, you know, you, you so appreciate your wife so much more. And you realize, God, how did I ever think a child would be a bad thing? for marriage or take something away and so she really uh, you know Chica really taught me something that I'm sure she never even realized she was gonna teach me in that regard Mitch can we take a quick break and when we come back we want to talk about your new podcast Tuesday People Zola makes wedding planning easier and less stressful with wedding websites, registry, invites, and a guest list manager all in one place. They have free wedding website designs in hundreds of styles, and guests can even shop your registry right on your site. Speaking of which, Zola is the highest rated registry of all time. You can register for gifts, experiences, and honeymoon funds. Plus, Zola's beautiful, affordable invites and paper are fully customizable and they'll help you collect addresses and track online RSVPs with their free guest list manager. They'll even address your envelopes for free. Zola has helped 1 million couples get married. They'll help you too. Go to Zola.com slash Jillian today and use promo code SAVE50 to get 50% off your save the dates. You can also get a free personalized paper sample before you purchase. That's 50% off save dates at Zola.com slash Jillian and promo code SAVE50. Zola, Z-O-L-A dot com slash Jillian, promo code SAVE50. The makers of the Quip Electric Toothbrush want you to know that when it comes to your dental care, if you have good habits, you're good. That means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use. And Quip makes it simple, starting with their electric toothbrush. It has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. Next, Quip's refillable floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. And my favorite part, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping so your routine stays on track. Join me and over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash Jillian right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash Jillian, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Jillian. Quip, the good habits company. Okay, guys, we are back with Mitch, and we were talking about his instant New York Times bestselling book, Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. But I want to shift gears real quick, and I want to talk about your brand new podcast, because uh, we've only gotten through a fraction of what is in your book, um, and I don't get to keep you forever, and uh, you're a pretty exclusive guest, so I don't get to have you back all the time, <laughs> and the good news is that you now have a podcast called Tuesday People. Will you tell us about this? Yeah, so for many, many years since Tuesdays with Maury came out in 1997, um, people have asked me, you know, wherever I go about that book. Uh, it was an accident that, you know, I, I wrote it to pay his medical bills and <sighs> really it wasn't, I, I wasn't supposed to become, I was a sports writer, so I wasn't supposed to become 
you know, any kind of expert on anything in life. And people would, uh, because that book became something that nobody ever expected it to become. I thought I'd have it in the trunk of my car the rest of my life. Oh my God. It was a tiny little book. And <laughs> we just, you know, the money that they gave us was very small and it was just to pay his medical bills. So and it sold I was 40 about million to move copies, on didn't and it? then it became this yeah, massive, crazy massive, thing. Yeah. yeah. Iconic and now I guess it's the book. biggest selling memoir in history. <laughs> and it, it's uh, it's all over the world in 50-something languages. So people wow. have, over the years, have all asked me about, you know, a lot of times people come up and say, Maury, can I ask you a question? And I say, I, I'm not Maury. I was the stupid one. <laughs> and, and, and so the years passed. And, and uh, you know, I have all the tapes of our conversations because we taped everything. And um, those were the, the underpinnings of, of all the lessons in Tuesdays with Maury. And as I started to, you know, get older and, and reach the age where I am now, and especially after going through what I did with Chica and and, and, and the orphanage that we run, I, I realize I'm a lot closer now to Maury's age when he died than I am to the age I was when I was young and stupid and just sitting by his bedside. And, um, you know, it's odd because it was almost 20 years to the day that, I found out from the first time that Maury was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And then when I found out that Chica had a brain tumor, it was wow. almost uncanny. And oh, here, 20 years earlier, I was sitting with a 78 year old man who was dying, but had all this wisdom to share and change my life. And now 20 years later, I was sitting with a five year old girl who was dying, but also in her own way, had all this wisdom to share and would change my life. And so after that happened, I realized, you know, I have learned a lot of things over the years and it would be nice in this new medium of podcasting to share those things with people, uh, the way I learned them. And so I got all the tapes out and went through them all and broke them all down to all the different subjects that Maury and I talked about. Incredible. And on this new podcast, the Tuesday people podcast, basically, which we put out on Tuesdays, um, <laughs> it's like people get a chance to sort of sit in that room like I did with Maury and hear the things he had to say. And we, you know, we, we pick one topic every week, just like he and I did when we met. And those topics can range from, you know, forgiveness to whether you should have children or not, or, you know, uh, whether you want to buy the culture or not, all things about life seen through the eyes of someone who really knew he was going to die shortly. So it wasn't one, it wasn't that vague. Yeah, I know I'm going to die one day, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. He really knew his days were numbered and he put everything into perspective. This matters. This doesn't matter. You think this matters now, but when you get to where I am and you will get to where I am one day, it's not going to matter. And so, uh, it's been beautiful. You know, it's very new. It's only weeks old, but, uh, it's been wonderful to sort of revisit that and listen to Maury's voice and then share the lessons that I've learned about what he taught me over the years. And so it's a, it's a, a sort of class once a week, just like I did with Maury. I love that so much. Is, is there um, an episode that I know you said it's new, but I was just wondering, yeah. is there one that you're most excited about or one that you're holding on to and you can't wait to share? Well, the one that we did uh, just a couple, maybe actually one week ago was the one about forgive others and forgive yourself. I, I had to learn that lesson, you know, when I was in my 30s sitting there with Maury and I watched him um, tell me a story about a friend uh, who had uh, 
had sculpted a, a like a bust of Maury was on the shelf. That's how we started talking about it. And he said, oh, that's my good friend Norman. I said, I've never even heard you talk about him. I've been here for months. He said, well, we had a falling out. Mm. And he told me about this kind of misunderstanding that they had had. They had been such good friends. And then they had some little misunderstanding over something. And Maury was kind of adamant and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and uh, stubborn. And uh, they lost touch because, you know, every time he tried to reach out more, he was like, well, now you're calling. And so, the, you know, the relationship crumbled. And then many years later, Maury found out that this man, this friend Norman, had died from cancer. And in front of me, he just broke down into tears. And he said, you know, why did I let that stupid argument separate us for all these years? All I wish now is that I, I could hold his hands or look him in the eye and, and just tell him what a good friend he had been all those years. But I can't now and I never will. And then he looked at me and he said, Mitch, if there's anyone you care about who you're fighting with or feuding with, just let it go. Let it go. It doesn't matter if you're right and they're wrong. You say you're wrong if that'll end it. Because <laughs> when you get to where I am and you will get to where I am, you won't care who is right or wrong. You'll just care that they're still a part of your life and you can hold their hand and look them in the eye. And, and, and he was crying so hard. And I'm thinking, here's a guy who's dying from Luke Gehrig's disease who can cry any minute of the day over his circumstances. And yet I never saw him cry so much over what he regretted, you know, not forgiving someone. And then, and then he turned and looked at me and he said, forgive everybody everything and then forgive yourself. And I said, what do you, what do you mean forgive yourself? For all the times you beat yourself up, I'm not good enough. I should have done this. I should have been more of this. I didn't live up to my this. I let them down. Everybody thinks I'm this. I'm not thin enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not handsome enough. Or whatever. He said, you, you spend so much time in your life beating yourself up. And when you get to the end, like I am, and you will get to the end, like I am, you're going to wish that you had been nicer to yourself. And boy, that really hit home when I was sitting with him and, and when we did the episode on that, um, we've heard, you know, from people, the people who have started to listen to it, that, that it really hit home with them as well. I, I have to say that I have spent our entire time together in chills and in tears. <laughs> so it's Jake <laughs> and Sydney. Um, you are truly a treasure. Uh, thank you for everything you have done and that you continue to do. I am asking each and every one of you to go and buy this book um, because you know uh, who it supports and who it helps all those kids so desperately in need um, in Haiti. It, the book is called Finding Chica, A Little Girl, in Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. But much like you think you're probably doing something good for them when you read the book, you're going to see how much it's going to do for you. Uh, it truly moved me on the deepest levels and now i am so excited to start listening to your new podcast and it is called tuesday people mitch thank you you are amazing i i truly am so grateful for the time you've given us today well I, i'm it's just been a pleasure and i i want to on behalf of you know as someone who has 52 orphans in haiti i want to just take my hat off to you uh and your and your family for making room for a child uh, from Haiti, the second poorest country on earth. Uh, and I know it's not easy to adopt a kid, from, even, even when you did it, 
which was a while ago. Now it's it's harder. ten times harder. I know. But you went through an awful lot to do that, and that that shows a lot of heart and a lot of caring. Um, and there are a lot of people who know that there are needy children in the world, but they just say, "Well, not me. Let somebody else go do it. Let somebody else go take care of them." And the fact that you did that will forever, in, in my mind, you know, be, be a uh, something that I'm going to be in awe. Just want to thank you for doing that. And Coming I, from I you. you get, I hope you get a 150 years with that your beautiful child, and um, we'll all be we'll all be rooting for that down at our orphanage. And if you ever want to ever want to you know come down and see the roots, we're there in Port-au-Prince. You know you can come make 52 new friends. So uh, honestly, when she's ready, delightful. I'm going to take you up on that. And she's kind of been going back and forth on it. And I thought we were going to go when she turned 10, and then she sort of said. She's she's not ready, um, and as soon as she is, uh, you will be getting a phone call from me because that's going to be our first stop. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, man. I sure enjoyed talking with all of you, and and uh, let's do it again sometime. Cannot wait. Thank you, guys. Tuesday, people, finding Chica. Do it. Do yourself a massive favor. Mitch, you're incredible. Go do all the big shows you're doing, like friggin' Today's Show and shit. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Have a good day. You, you guys take care. Bye-bye. Info in the show notes.